Thank you for tuning in today. I'm pleased to be joined by my colleagues to provide you with an update on the progress to modernize the oversight of the veterinary profession in Ontario. We're also very optimistic and encouraged by recent announcements and their potential impact on veterinary teams in our province. We hope you're excited as well. My name is Jan Robinson. I'm Registrar and Chief Executive Officer with the College of Veterinarians of Ontario. And I'm joined by Elise Wickett, Executive Director and Registrar with the Ontario Association of Veterinary Technicians. And also joining us is John Stevens, Chief Executive Officer of the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association. Welcome to both of you and thank you for being here. Great to be here, Jan. Thanks for having us. Agreed. Thanks very much, Jen. Great opportunity to connect on this. Well, this has certainly been a journey so far. And uh, we're kind of still in the middle of the story, I guess, a story that started, oh, you know, really, when I think about it back in 2013, at least at the college, uh, that was when the very beginnings or the seedlings, I guess, of this approach and thinking think for OAVT probably a lot longer than that. But both the OAVT and the OVMA have been key partners in this aim, you know, related to the regulation of the veterinary profession in Ontario so that it reflects modern practice and approaches and serves the public interest, not only um, narrowly, but really quite a bit more broadly. And I'm just, you know, at least maybe we can start with you. You know, it's pretty exciting, you know, the positive interest from Minister Thompson over the last several months, really, and particularly, uh, certainly since the election. Can you talk a bit about, you know, how your organization has reacted to the November 21st commitment? Thanks, Jan. As you said, the November 21st commitment was very exciting for us, but our activities related to this topic go many years back. Um, and I think you're right, 2013 and even earlier than that. And so when we came around to the announcement that the Veterinarians Act would be open for public consultation, certainly the OIVT uh, celebrated this as a significant milestone in moving forward to modernize the act so that it reflects current practice and is built to be future ready for what we look towards and anticipate the future of veterinary medicine to need in order to support the public in accessing care and also ensure that uh, all of the professionals in this space have regulation that supports them to work to the top of their licenses. You know, we've been uh, all really watching this closely. And then we had the additional piece of Grow Ontario, where it was actually in black and white to uh, see the modernization deliverable uh, starting to come together. And I guess, John, I'm thinking about uh, OVMA and your reaction to this and how you're reflecting on the work we've done and the work we need to do and what what this all means. Yeah, I, I think it's very, very exciting, first and foremost, and it's the reflection of a lot of joint work between our organizations uh, and work that's, that's quite overdue uh, at this point. Reforming and modernizing the Veterinarians Act uh, is important to the profession and, and certainly everybody here, uh, because among many challenges, the current framework is outdated given that it was written over 30 years ago. So we have a first phase of consultation, you know, that has started in what I would say maybe is a more informal way, right? It, you know, there's a portal that's open and uh, the ministry is listening to comments and early reactions uh, to this announcement. And our understanding is that a more formal consultation period is likely to evolve maybe uh, late winter, early spring. 
somewhere in there is what we're kind of anticipating. But legislative reform is important for so many reasons, and there's just so many different angles to think about it from. I thought, John, maybe you could start us off in talking just a little bit about the significance of legislative reform to veterinarians in the province. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of the challenges with the current uh, model of the Veterinarians Act is that it's really overly prescriptive. It's an overly prescriptive framework, uh, and it really limits the ability of practitioners to innovate and to be creative with their own business models. Really, I'm sure you see it all the time, Jan, and, and your team, but it really does hinder the college from operating as efficiently as would be expected in a regulated health profession. And that really does come at a cost to producers and pets pet owners, and of course, uh, veterinarians. And and just as a way to illustrate this specific example, obviously you're well aware of uh, how your internal mechanisms uh, operate, but uh, the college's complaints committee, the composition of that is set out in the act. Mm -hmm. And this is not where normal composition for committees should be set out in a regulated profession. And this means that the committee can't expand or grow its work as the need arises. So here we are really with a small complaints committee with uh, limited ability to process complaints. Uh, And then given the growth of the profession over the last 30 years, combined now with pandemic pets, you know, the committee has uh, likely challenges that I'm sure you, again, see quite often, uh, has challenges dealing with the the volume of work in front of us. So now we have a a significant backlog uh, to process complaints and even those that are unfounded that should be or could be dismissed earlier. And again, that comes at a cost to, to pet owners who may be expressing their complaints or for veterinarians who just want to see the complaint addressed in, in a fair and reasonable manner. And you know that's just one example of where the overly prescriptive nature of this legislation creates challenges for the profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, what you're speaking about actually hits a nerve for us, of course, because you know our aim is to really, uh, in our regulatory role, meet the public interest. And we're not feeling at all that the public interest is being met with the current complaints processes as they're set. But just to take it sort of up a level, um, I would refer to this from a public perspective really is about regulatory burden. You know, the way in which the act is currently designed, we've got a lot of things in an act that could be in different places. They could be perhaps in regulation, maybe a lot more likely, for example, committee compositions, a lot more likely in bylaws and some things in policy which makes them a lot more nimble and a lot more agile and more responsive to how things change. As we've seen, when you think about the act in 1989, some would say that's a long time ago. Some would say maybe not, depending upon legislation. But when you think about in 1989, the concept of the RVT might have been around, but it wasn't in existence. And so we've got changing uh, public expectation. We've got uh, RVTs with an increasing uh, skill set. We weren't talking about teams in 1989. We're certainly talking about teams now. And so uh, the burden of a system that's in an act that does not permit agility uh, is in nobody's interest, really. I'm wondering, Elise, how you build on that from the veterinary technician perspective around why legislative reform is important. 
Absolutely. What we're seeing and, and what you've both touched on is the need for an act that reflects the innovations and in the advancements that have fundamentally changed veterinary medicine over the past uh, number of decades. And one of those things being uh, the further recognition of registered veterinary technicians as the credentialed, educated and skilled professionals that they are. So those who are familiar with taking their pet to a veterinary clinic or perhaps having um, a veterinarian or a veterinary team come out on farm to vaccinate a herd of cattle might be familiar with these two roles. However, the legislation doesn't actually reflect that. And so what this opportunity presents us with is for an updated act to really recognize registered veterinary technicians and that the delivery of veterinary medicine involves these two professionals working as a team in a, in a co-accountability model. And in so doing, the, the desire would be that RVTs can be more effectively utilized in the delivery of care through an expanded scope of practice, one that reflects, as I said, their skill set, their education, and, and their credential that they've worked hard to earn and maintain. And ultimately, this will help provide clarity on when, how, and under what circumstances RVTs are the appropriate professional to perform a task when providing care to an animal. So we're really excited to be able to see that formalized. I think one of the great things too about the way that all three of our organizations have approached the conversation, and this is what you're leaning into, I think a bit, Elise, is we've been really focused on risk, you know, and really wanting to ensure that a new act is focused on having rules and scaffolding around higher level risk and allowing lower level risk to be much more in the public domain as so that we can then again see a more accessible workforce. But I also think the other really great thing about having veterinary technicians and veterinarians under one roof, let's call it that, uh, related to legislation is about the whole quality story. Because when you think about risk and you think about uh, discussions related to uh, standard setting or looking at issues that arise, the ability to mitigate those and to think about those differently exists in a better way where we can start to talk about uh, what does quality veterinary medicine look like related to uh, the team and the outcomes. And I think that a new structure will really assist with that. Are there any other reflections that you would have on the importance as we've talked about this before we sort of move to a different topic? I would just reiterate what you've said there, Jan. This is really about empowering teams to expand delegation to RVTs so that they're serving the patients and the public to the fullest extent of their credential. And it's really truly that. It's about an expansion. It's not about a contraction. And so that pet owners and animal owners, you know, this isn't limited to cats and dogs. It's all of those creatures out there have access to care that they can rely on and that's efficient and accessible. And just to echo what Elise is saying, uh, absolutely. Uh, in terms of pet owners, uh, pet parents and producers, we're in a position now where we have skills that are readily available that are not being utilized. Uh, and you know, one only needs to look in the news in the last couple of years and learn more and more about the challenges that pet parents and producers are having in terms of access to care. So why would we not uh, want to create a situation where the, the skills and the knowledge that currently exist in people are actually used uh, and leveraged for, for really the benefit of everybody, the teams and, and the pets and, and producers? 
Absolutely. And we've been really, you know, talking quite a bit about cross species, right? It's just so important for us to think about animals and animal welfare really uh, broadly. And that means that there's uh, lots of people engaged. So there's three of us, and we um, have the privilege of being involved in some of the leadership organizational elements of the profession. But we've also engaged and had discussions with a lot of different people along the way, different organizations. I know that in the development of the recommendations at the college, Uh, that came from the college, we had other regulators involved who uh, had best practices that we needed to learn from. We had over nine public consultations on different concepts. We had four working groups that were working on very specific topics like scope of practice, such as what we've been talking about, quality practice or quality assurance mechanisms, governance, And as you so broadly in a very fulsome way, John, we're speaking about the complaints process. We had focus on that as well uh, to try and look how we could uh, streamline better. And we're really circling back now, right? Because as we're out in consultation, as the ministry has pointed out that they want to forward with this commitment, this continuing engagement is important of how we look at hearing uh, the opinions and the thoughts of others as we get closer to the reality. So I'm just wondering if you could share, maybe at least you could uh, start, just kick us off a little bit on your approach or some of the thinking of OAVT around engaging conversation. Absolutely. You know, as we've said at the outset of this conversation, this is one we have been having, the OAVT has been having for a number of years. And over the course of those years, while our, our thinking has evolved and has changed, we continue to solicit feedback, information, input from our members. And there are regular conversations around our, our board table about these topics and related issues of the time that arise. That said, more formally, the OAVT certainly is engaging with its members to provide feedback directly to the association, but also ensure that individuals have the opportunity and understand that they can access the consultation portal independently of the OAVT. And so that's something that that RVTs can go ahead and do. And we are also looking, I guess, our next sort of more formal opportunity for RVTs to provide feedback to the association uh, en masse would be at our upcoming conference at the beginning of March. And so we're incorporating some opportunities there because this really is about two pieces, the, the public, the protection of the public and the care that they access. And also for us at the OABT being a professional association, we need to ensure that the perspectives of RVTs who are out there doing the work are incorporated into this thinking. Thanks for that. John, you and I are interesting in this way in that we're uh, both involved with boots on the ground veterinarians, and uh, but we have very different hats that we wear and different roles. So we have often, we are each seeking input from our members, and in my case, licensed members. However, there are many other stakeholders too. And I know that the college is actively engaged in speaking to various uh, commodity groups, as an example to other professions such as physiotherapy, chiropractic, farriers as another example, just to ensure that we've got a broad understanding, a way to ensure conversation and to be clear that what we're uh, continuing to advocate for is as up-to-date as possible. 
because again, when I said we started in 2013, we're now 10 years later. So we want to make sure that things are all still lining up. John, from an OVMA's perspective, how is it that you're viewing your approach to garnering perspective? Sure. So likewise, previously, when when the consultations were were more active, uh, when these policies were being developed, we did the same as the college. Each time one was opened up for public comment, we did the same thing. We made sure that uh, voices from all veterinarians were sought and incorporated in our feedback to the college uh, on each of those concepts. So that work wrapped up several years ago. So in the intervening period, we've been sure to make sure that this is a regular conversation. This is something that's on everybody's radar. The example that I shared earlier is one that I talked about a few times amongst members because it's a very, very tangible, clear uh, explanation of you know, where some of the gaps are that exist. So when people come forward, as they do and, and as they should, with concerns in the practice of veterinary medicine, we can say, you know what, that's a very, very good point. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, we would link it back to the legislation is is a little bit old, but we are working with our partners to update that and, and linking that back to the work is being done and has been done to bring solutions to some of the challenges that, that members have faced and just keeping that conversation going. So it's not an issue that's been, you know, just left behind for a number of years, given its, its importance. Uh, and then now that the consultation has been opened up, we've been sure to reach out to there are a number of incredible groups uh, in the province uh, representing various species, and we've shared with them our feedback and invited them to provide feedback to us, uh, and of course invited them to follow up uh, with submissions through the portal so that the government can hear the support from species, food, animal, um, veterinarians, and, and all the right groups to make sure that all those voices are in there. And, and I'm very, very confident, one, that there is an incredible amount of support but we do believe when we do talk to stakeholders that the solutions can be made in new legislation. And uh, we often will link back stakeholders and perhaps questions or challenges that they have and say, you know, the work has been done and we just need to, to move forward with new legislation and we can bring on some, some incredible solutions. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I think one of the elements that may be important to some of our uh, listeners to understand as well is that while we enjoy and are fostered, I want to say it that way, strong working relationships between our organizations. And I think we're in a really, a really wonderful space that way. To your point, John, both OABT and OVMA are in a place when the college is on consultation that you also provide separate responses to that, right? So that you, uh, although you may be actively engaged in working groups or other kinds of activities, uh, your organizations also still provide their separate opinion uh, on where the college is at, which is really great. And we really appreciate that too. So what I'm thinking about as we get closer to concluding our time together, if you had uh, something that you would say, why a veterinarian and a veterinary technician on the ground should care about this? Because everybody's busy. But why should they care at this point related to watching for the consultations and reviewing the materials that come from our organizations around us? Well, I'll go ahead and just actually answer that by reflecting a little bit on what what John was saying and Jan, what you were saying about stakeholders as well, is really that this work is not happening in a vacuum and it is not about our separate organizations either, right? It is about updating, uh, modernizing the act, creating changes that build a framework 
for the delivery of veterinary medicine for today and into the future. And, you know, nothing better than the past two years of working our ways through a pandemic to realize and understand the significance and the importance of having this, as you said earlier, scaffolding, this structure that provides some boundaries and some direction, but is also nimble and agile and is not overly prescriptive or restrictive. And so that's really what the opportunity I think we have, all of us have in front of us today and through these consultations is to think about what sort of future we would like to create for the animals in our care and and for the pet owners and the people who also love and care for those animals and make sure that it is something that we can continue to meet our mandates of protecting the public, serving the public as they access that care, and really doing it with the best interest of the animals at heart. That's really nicely said. Uh, John? Yeah, just to follow up on uh, what Elise was saying, I think what we're talking about here in a lot of ways, in addition to responding to specific concerns or, you know, folks coming forward saying, you know, I wish this was a bit different or I wish that was a bit different. And we could say, again, you know, we've taken that into account and there, there are solutions to challenges that people run into. The reality is what we're talking about is future-proofing the veterinary profession because we are vulnerable with the scaffold that we have right now. And it's it's not one that we would create today. Uh, and it is one that was created, you know, we've talked about that 30 years ago. We have a infrastructure and a profession that is operating in a way that was written before the internet was even a thing. So how do you have a nimble and progressive profession when legislation didn't even understand or, or predict that, you know, the way that practices now or the way that uh, consumers uh, seek, you know, practitioners or, or they do their research. And there's a number of things, and that's just one small element that will be addressed with that. So it's it's an exciting time to look forward uh, about what's possible uh, and to make sure that, you know, there are a number of barriers to innovation and creativity. Sometimes we limit ourselves. Uh, sometimes we're not sure if we have the capability. But regulatory barriers are, are consistently a thing in this and other sectors uh, as a barrier to innovation. And it's exciting to potentially remove those barriers and, and to future-proof this profession. Yeah, and I think that's really, really nice language, that uh, future-proofing piece, is, as this is the opportunity now for us to shape. You know, our professions only have moments in time to be able to shape components such as the, the regulatory framework that assists them to do their job well, which is really uh, what this is all about too. And in the public interest, what we want to be able to do is have a system that really works with the professionals within it to help, again, take a look at what does quality veterinary medicine look like in an ongoing way, you know, as things continue to change and develop. So we want to be solution-oriented. You know, as we sort of close here, I think it's important for people to know that <laughs> developing legislation doesn't happen overnight, for sure. And we've been on a long road already, as we said, but we're now at least we're in the uh, being able to see potentially the finish line. Uh, probably going to take a couple of years for this. Uh, bills are uh, not easy things to write. And so we'll be looking at this upcoming consultation period. Hopefully, a bill being introduced into the legislature in the coming year or so. And that will likely take a period of time as it moves through its own uh, work and consultation through a government process. 
So we're, uh, I think all three of us, I can say, uh, are in the place where we're uh, welcoming this opportunity to continue to support the government as it moves forward and to uh, work together to ensure that the piece of legislation that we um, are able to help create delivers on the outcomes uh, that we're really seeking. And some of that, I think, and I know, Elise, we've talked a bit about this, John, maybe not as much, but I think we've also got opportunities to think about how transformative this will be. You know, it is a transformation. It's not a revolution, but it's a little more than an evolution as well. So somewhere we have a transformation where we're bringing both of these important professions uh, together to regulate together. And so we'll uh, be working and thinking a little bit about how we assist with all of that. As we sort of close, do you have any other thoughts or any other advice you'd like to give to our listeners? I think I just want to say how uh, excited and enthusiastic I and, and OVMA are for this. I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier, this is a unique moment in time where um, organizations are, are aligned to help chart a new course for an entire profession in this province. And that is unbelievably exciting and happy to have conversations with our members as, as this goes on. and. Uh, make sure that uh, everyone's feedback is represented. So certainly inviting anyone listening if they're uh, curious about uh, any aspect of that or want to learn more uh, to reach out to, well, I'm sure I'm speaking for everybody, but uh, certainly reach out to us and share any of the thoughts that they have or, or ask these questions because uh, it is it is some change uh, and uh, people are always curious about change, but it's, it's good change and, and happy to help tell that story to anyone who's interested. Super, thanks, Lise. Yeah, the same sort of last thoughts or, or closing comments for me is that this has been a lot of collaborative work uh, over a number of years. There's a lot of history there and there's a lot of uh, sort of hope in the future. And I think if there's anything that I would ask or request of people listening to this podcast is that they, if your interest is sparked at all, that you you search out some more information, you you read some of the resources that we each have posted on our websites. You know, for us at the OAVT, we have videos and other podcasts and documents and timelines of all of the work that sort of come together and brought us to uh, where we're at right now. And I, and again, I'm sure the same is for the CVO and for our OVMA. Lots of information out there. Please don't be shy about engaging with us or with this topic, uh, because this really is important for for members of the profession and for the public to know and understand the consultation process so that they can participate. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just echo those elements as well, that you know, important to uh, be informed, to uh, get involved where you can. All of our organizations are keen to have conversation. I know that we've got an upcoming town hall that we'll be announcing uh, in March for that'll be an open mic opportunity for veterinarians to ask questions. Uh, related to uh, ledge reform, uh, but we are all in this together. And so we're uh, looking forward to continuing to keep people informed. And I'm sure that we'll have other ways in which we'll do this uh, as a collective so that um, everyone, uh, the, the public, animal owners and uh, veterinarians and veterinary technicians and others involved in uh, the veterinary sector uh, can have a good understanding of where we're all headed and why it's important. So thanks very much for that. I know that there uh, is information on the consultation available in the podcast notes. And again, I'd like to thank uh, John and Elise, uh, my good colleagues for being here today. Thank you.
Thanks so much for having us.